The Cleveland Guardians have signed Josh Bell. After years of waiting for something to happen, something has happened. They have signed a first baseman. We're going to talk Josh Bell, talk some MLB draft lottery, first one ever. But the focus today is on Josh Bell and why this is a huge, huge addition for your Cleveland Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Guardians. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Ellis. No, uh, no relation to Josh Bell. Uh, I saw some things today of people trying to tie him to Albert Bell, even though their names are spelled differently. So I'm going to go ahead and say that is a no. Uh, I've written about the draft. I wrote about Josh Bell in that 2011 draft class, the last uncapped year. That's how he got a $5 million signing bonus. By the way, Guardians that year spent uh, at the seventh pick in the second round and spent a record for them at the time, $1.85 million on Dylan Howard. And if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I'm going to throw it to Justin. Ooh, that's a great point. I'm Justin Latta, uh, co-host here. Uh, not on camera tonight. I've kind of had the flu the last few days. So um, it wasn't on, on yesterday because I said, well, I was going to try to make it through yesterday. If the guardians did something big, they did not. Uh, they waited until I still had a day to sort of recover, which I was very nice of them. So I'm not a hundred percent, but uh, I hope this is my Jordan flu game. Uh, this is a nice thing to talk about. So going to get through it. So let's get into it. Yeah. So Josh Bell is a guardian. Fun fact. Uh, 2011 draft class. He has the second highest war of any player so far from that class. No one would ever guess who's number one, a shortstop from the university of Connecticut. We're going to play the favorite guessing game where you and I like to ask each other questions that we don't set each other up for. Do you have any idea who that might be? Who was drafted by the Braves, but did not play for him. Them out of university of Connecticut. Yes. Shortstop. Mm -hmm. 2011. Yes, I wouldn't get this. I'll be honest and fair. Yeah, the only Connecticut players I can think of are um, George Springer and uh, Jeremy Pena. Those are the only guys I can think of. Yeah. Uh, Pena was Maine, University of Maine. Oh, I thought he was Connecticut. Wow. Okay. No, so, yeah, was, I can't really think of Jeremy. So, well, got Matt, get Matt Barnes was with uh, Springer in that class, but uh, Nick Ahmed is the highest war of any oh, wow. guy in that second round. Two is Josh Bell, three, James McCann, four, Brad Miller, five, Daniel Norris. It kind of falls apart, uh, <laughs> as you can tell with that list. If you wanted six, Adrian Hauser, uh, seven, da- uh, Daniel Vogelbach, eight, Cam Gallagher, who's just like a list we got plenty to talk about, but it is always interesting to look at this stuff, especially because. The 2011 draft is probably the single greatest draft of my lifetime, at least in terms of the first round. Uh, You go through those high-end picks, almost everyone got to the big leagues unless you were drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers. And even then, hey, you might have got an inning or two. Uh, But yeah, it's it's one of the greatest first rounds ever, but needless to say, falls apart uh, in the second round. And by the way, I believe, is this the same draft that like in round three or four is Mookie Betts on on top of some of these great guys? But uh, like I said, let's let's go back josh bell we talked about him on the show and uh i'm gonna do what people hate i'm gonna pat myself on the back here and be like hey listen something i said if you listen to the show came true and i said i didn't think that he would 
be opposed to a short-term contract because he wants, if you want a big payday at the age of 30, you're getting less and less opportunities. I know about Jose Abreu, but let's be honest, the Jose Abreu's and Nelson Cruz's are the exception, not the rule. So he essentially signed a one-year deal with Cleveland. And he is betting on himself. He did exactly what I said he might be willing to do. And if you're Cleveland and he absolutely, well, you listen, both sides want him to hit the ball and kill it so well that he opts out. That is the yeah. ultimate outcome for both sides. And for Cleveland, guess what? They get a relative bargain, though. Josh Bell's 16.5 million. It's a two year, $33 million contract. His 16.5 is the second highest average annual salary they've ever given to a free agent after Edwin. So that's, they have not done a lot of these. But if he opts out, guess what? And if he destroys the baseball, they offer him a qualifying offer. They get a year of fantastic production. Let some of those young guys marinate a bit, get some opportunities, uh, help figure out who's ready to go, see if John Kenzie Noel is ready to step up in a year or so. And then they walk away with huge production, potentially another postseason berth, and a bonus first-round pick. Uh, Now, there will be those who are like, you know, who cares about the pick? But I think that's part of the equation to a degree. You give him that opt-out with the knowledge that, hey, if everything goes well, and if he plays like more of an average bat, $16 million for an average bat, as we're seeing in free agency, is not terrible. And, uh, you know, we don't even have to get in the production and how he's an upgrade yet. But, I mean, I, I feel like this is a win. And, of course, it was John Heyman with the breaking news since he is Scott, Scott Boris's uh, bestie. But, yeah, it's a, it's a strong addition that definitely also shows them having forethought. Like, this isn't just about the now this is clearly a deal that had a lot of forethought and they're able to get it done because bell wanted the ability to bet on himself and go back on the market. Yeah. I, I was surprised by that with a Boris client, to be honest with you. And and it's interesting because I tweeted earlier uh, this winter when people were talking about, you know, Cleveland maybe being a, a fit for Josh bell. And I said, yeah, that would be great. But you know, Cleveland typically hasn't signed a lot of uh, Boris clients. They have, the funny thing is that uh, Michael Bourne and uh, Mick Swisher were both were both Scott Boris clients. So when they have signed some big free agent contracts, they have been Scott Boris clients. So I guess you could say um, when Cleveland does sign a big free agent, it ends up being a Boris client. If they don't, they just don't sign a free agent. After I don't know who Edwin's uh, agent was, but it wasn't Scott Boris. But um, that was also a situation of opportunity where the market on Edwin never really developed and it was in a spot where they felt comfortable. And that's always been Cleveland's thing too, is, is short-term commitment. They're okay with the higher and an annual average value of a player. They've always said, you know, short-term and most teams say this, most teams don't care. That's why you see a lot like Cody Bellinger today got one year, 17 million on a prove it deal. You know, to these the teams don't care to the Cubs. Yeah. Most of these teams don't care you know, they'll pay you $20 million in a single season if it's just a one-season commitment because then you're not on, on the books long-term, and if things go south, you know, you're fine. The player gets the payday, but the team isn't stuck with the long-term commitment. So most teams are okay with that, and that's why it made sense for Cleveland. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I thought he would. the market would still be good enough for Josh Bell that he would still be able to get, uh, you know, three years. And I said three years, $39 million. And he got what two thirty three if if that ends up playing out like that, so he gets close to the full that that the money on that. Although, he, but he gets the opt out, which is the big deal here. I, I have a feeling he wasn't coming to Cleveland without the opt out. I think 
you know, he, he gets himself some, some insurance that if he doesn't play as well as he'd like, he gets close to the money he would have gotten on the market this year anyway. Um, but I don't know. The market for Jose Abreu was just so strong, and Carlos Santana was just so strong. You know, we both agreed that we thought Bell would have a stronger market, but uh, I guess I didn't anticipate he would be trying to go back on the market a year later, which makes a lot of sense. Like you said, if he does, that's good for Cleveland and Josh Bell because he'll get more money next offseason, and Cleveland will have gotten a good season from Josh Bell, and the draft pick matters too because, look, if he plays well, it's not like you're going to trade him, right? Because if, if, if things go well, if Josh Bell plays well, that probably means Cleveland plays just as well. So they're not, they're not going to want to trade him. They're not going to have to trade him um, if all things work out that way. So the draft pick will end up being a better situation for them anyway. So, yeah, this is uh, this is really a good good thing for all sides. I just didn't, didn't think he would bet on himself. I, I thought Scott Boris would drive the market to a better situation than having to take a one-year deal like this. I think, you know, when you go and you look at his numbers, he worst case scenario, he's an above league average bat, right? Like he is his worst year is a 2020 year, which honestly, I'm just throwing out 2020 right now. I think you can ignore that year. And then Pittsburgh kind of foolishly sold low on him after a bad 2020. They didn't want to pay him for his career. He walks 12% of the time, basically strikes out 18% of the time outside of that one 37 home run year. He's at a 27 home run year. And then just two other seasons and then a 26. And then, you know, it's been in the teens. Power isn't always part of his game. We'll get into park factors, I think, a little bit in segment two. His defense is horrendous. Uh, He's been about a two-war player. I had someone ask me on the show yesterday, say I throw around war, and I don't explain what that is. War stands for wins above replacement. It's basically it takes the offense, the defense, the base running. It takes all parts of a baseball player, boils it down into a number. And the number is, you know, based on the fact that a – uh, a league average player is worth two, a replacement level, basically a, a guy from AAA should come up and be worth zero. Uh, you know, a star is, you know, all-star is typically like four to six and your MVPs are kind of around six to eight though. They can go higher. Uh, so he's been pretty consistently a two war player with his defense, really pulling him down. The nice thing is in Cleveland, honestly, he'll probably be a DH against right-handed or yeah, against right-handed pitching and a first baseman against lefties. And, you know, we're going to go into our first break here, but I think one of those things I just want to put out there is I saw some people downplaying this a little bit, which is incredibly silly to me uh, because of Cleveland situation. And I'm just going to point out when we come back, we're going to compare him to the at-bats that he's, you know, last year's production, that he is replacing and talk about what he has done in his career. We're also going to get into some of the park factors and all of that fun stuff on today's locked on guardians. But first it is time to take a word from some of our fantastic sponsors. One of my favorites, our newest and reliable is the word for this company. And that is simply safe. How do I know simply safe is reliable? Well, I'll get to there in a second. At Lockdown Guardians, we believe home should be where you and your family feel safest, especially over the holidays. This season, give yourself and your family the gift of peace and protection with the number one rated home security system, Simply Safe. That is S I M P L I S A F E. And right now, Simply Safe is offering Lockdown Guardians listeners 40% off a new security system. Don't miss out on this. And how do I know that this is a reliable company? U.S. News and World Reports. People are probably here, tired of hearing me uh, talk about them. That is indeed how I picked my car. It is indeed how I pick every big purchase in my life. And U.S. News and World Report has named Simply Safe the top security system of 2022 and 21. 
and 20. That is the company you are getting. By the way, they just upgrade their system and have a new app that allows you to see everything. You can lock and unlock things from a distance. You can check out your home and always have that sense of security and safety. Don't miss your chance to save big on my favorite home security system. Get 40% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash MLB today. That's simplysafe.com slash MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Okay, so one of the things I commented on on the uh, shorts, I'm going to try to do more of those YouTube shorts. It's, you know, it's something I can do in a minute and shoot it out and uh, I don't have to worry. You know, it's just, it's it's low work, but quick reaction, which, you know, is kind of how most of baseball Twitter seems to go anymore. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but let's talk about the fact that last year, Owen Miller had 472 plate appearances. Franmo Reyes had... Uh, let's see, it closed on me here. He ended up with Cleveland having 200 something. What was it? 280. So those two combined for 750 plate appearances. That's almost two seasons worth of plate appearances. That's what you were replacing, right? That is what's coming in. Last year, Owen Miller, he ended up with a runs created plus of 85. If you get rid of the first month, it's in the 60s. You get rid of the good month. His production on the year was a 60, which again, 100 is average. He was essentially... Miles Straw outside of that good first month. You look at Fran Mil Reyes, his production in Cleveland was a 69. So the same area. They got miserable production from those two players. Absolutely yeah. miserable production. That's what you're replacing. Uh, you're not replacing Naylor with this. You're getting someone who is, he's going to play every day. And by the way, you could still totally, he could be, depending on how they want to use it, he could be a full-time DH. You could still get, Gabby Arias, like have that role he had in the postseason where he's, you know, playing against um, lefties. Uh, you could still have that happen or you could, you know, make it that thing where against again, lefties, he is the first baseman. And then the DH is Jose Ramirez and some like Gabby Arias is playing third base. It's, it's also then the DH position could stay open specifically against left-handed uh, pitchers to give them that flexibility. But if you're curious again, Josh Bell, uh, 123 runs created plus last year. So you're talking about almost double the production. I mean, at least a 50% increase in production. That's that's pretty significant. Uh, that is why they targeted this because that position, that DH position with those two players was as bad as the catcher position almost. So the, this team had a clear, clear approach. These two positions were dog poop. They gave us nothing. We got to upgrade them. And they went after Bell, and this is a upgrade. It is a serious upgrade. I know you looked into the park factors. Why don't you kind of dive into those? Well, first, to go further into DH, DH production last year, Cleveland was uh, second to last in DH production last year with a 68-weighted runs created plus uh, ahead of only – I'm sorry, they were last. They were they were 30th in weighted runs created plus last year among all DHs. So they had the worst production in all of baseball to DH spot last year. So – at the very least, this puts them middle of the pack. They go from being last to 15th, right? Like, there's there's no way they'll go worse than that. Um, they got nine home runs in the DH spot last year. Tampa Bay got six, and that was because Yanni Diaz uh, was a lot of DHing last year. And But he still they, – uh, they still had – they were still ninth last year in DH production. So, um, yeah, it was pretty bad last season. They had a slash line of 219, 266, 331. Your DH spot, you cannot get, you know, a bad offense out of that spot. It's one thing to get below average offense from 
a catcher who is a great defender or a gold glove center fielder, uh, when you're this bad out of the DH spot, it's pretty, it's pretty unrecoverable. Uh, as far as park factors are concerned, you know, Josh Bell will swing lefty most of the time in Cleveland. Cleveland is a more favorable park for left-handed hitters. Uh, for left-handers, according to StatCast, uh, the park factors were 102. So it's like uh, weighted runs created plus where 100 is league average. So 100 is league average for this as well. So Cleveland progressive fields at 102. It scored at 107 for home runs. So 7% above league average in terms of home run production. Um, interesting that um, Nationals Park, where he was playing before he went to San Diego, it was a 102 for left-handed hitters and a 101 for home run production. So they were ninth, two or three spots behind progressive field. And he had a great first half with the Nationals where he hit uh, 14 home runs and had a had an OPS of 877. Yeah, 156 yeah. way to runs created plus. 143, but yeah, he was oh. he was having a fantastic start with with uh, Washington and then he went to San Diego. Well, San Diego for left-handed hitters is a 94 uh, among on park factors, so 6% below league average and 96 for home run production, so 4% below league average. So he's taken um, an 11% jump in home run production uh, for a park factor and uh, about 8% overall for offensive production. So he should be in a better hitter's environment as a left-hander in progressive field. Um, From the right side, real quick, let me take a look. Um, just because this is a three-year average, by the way. So this is not just last season. This is a three-year average. Right-handers, Cleveland is 97 overall. Uh, Petco Park, where he was coming from, was 94. So that's still an upgrade. And uh, it was a 98 in Nationals Park. So overall, he's still going to get an upgrade um, in terms of park factors at Progressive Field. Uh, And I'm not really sure. The rest of central, the rest of the central division too. Although you know he's not, we're not going to play as many AL Central teams next year because of the new schedule. But um, the Reds have a high park factor because it's an offensive ballpark. The Royals have a high one. The White Sox have a high one. Um, so yeah, he's definitely in a better hitting environment, and he's going to be in a good lineup. Not that the, the Padres weren't a good lineup, but uh, um, yeah, hopefully he can come to, the, to come to this ballpark and. I know, I know you've been kind of down on Steamer's projections this year, but I will say at, le- at the very least, Steamer projects Bell to have a 123 uh, weighted runs created plus next year, which is what he ended up with in 2021, which was his second best offensive season of his career. And that's despite his horrid second half with the Padres. So the fact that it was still a second best offensive season. And by the way, he had 17 home runs last year. That would have been tied for second on the Guardians uh, with Andres Jimenez. So he would have had the second most home runs on this team a year ago. And, you know, something we talked about off air that I kept forgetting about and wanted to mention, it's like, let's be honest too. If he doesn't have that second half slide, if he plays the whole year out in Washington, uh, he probably gets more money than Abreu. Consistently, he hasn't, like Abreu has been a consistently better hitter and consistently better defender, if we're honest. That slide really killed him this year in terms of, and that's why he took a pillow contract, as they sometimes say. That's why he took this betting on himself contract. If he posts a 140 all year, he they, this doesn't happen. So Cleveland was the beneficiary. And and how many times have we seen a guy go to a new stadium and he just doesn't get comfortable? Like that happens too. Like we've all done that. I mean, he had to 
go completely across the coast. Uh, I don't know if we ever confirmed, but we heard that some of his family might be from Youngstown. Like he might, you know, he, Pittsburgh is where he played to Washington. That's a, it, just in terms of the human factor, which we sometimes overlook. I mean, he had a pretty monumental shift um, in his season in terms of what happened for him. And that could also explain some of what went wrong. And that also, you know, could be a perfect reason why he decided to come to Cleveland. Like, say what you want to say. It's why I argued, hey, Joey Gallo should want to come here. It's, you know, it's a, I don't want to say a place to lay low, but you don't have to sometimes deal with some of the other pressures and stressors. And you can just concentrate on the game and his, the other thing is, yeah, he, he can hit some power. He can have a 20 home run season, but his profile fits Cleveland's. And as we talked about on the show, and it's, you know, giving credit to you that he is, you know, the heir apparent to Carlos Santana, right? That's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're bringing in Carlos Santana part two the version. Yeah. So. Yeah. He, and the, the walks are important because how many times last year, Jeff, did you talk about, and I talked about how this team just doesn't draw walks. They were one of the lower, um, teams in, in the league in, in terms of patience and drawing walks. They worked counts and saw pitches, but a lot of times they put the bat in the ball, and that's a good skill for this team, and it worked out for them in a lot of ways. But um, having a guy who can actually draw those walks um, around all those contact guys is a big help for them. And so not not only can he hit – I think he, it's reasonable to think he'll hit 20, 25 home runs as long as he's healthy all year. And if he can get on base, look, the word, if we throw out 20, 20 – the worst um, on base percentage he's had in any season of his career was 334. I think he'll take that. That was uh, a year he had 26 home runs, and he still had an OPS of 800. You'll take that. You'll take that. Yeah, I was kind of trying to go quickly. He had 81, um, 81 walks last year, and I was trying to see if that would have led this team. I believe it would have. Yeah, Jose Ramirez had 69 walks, so that was number one. Stephen Kwan at 62. Uh, this team, as you know, right, I did. I always complain they don't walk enough. Josh Bell's 81 was a significantly higher amount. He would have led this team. But number two in home runs and number one in walks. Like, that's a pretty nice addition to your lineup. I, I know we don't have to sell people on it, but I'm I'm ecstatic. I don't know about you. Do you have, for at this deal, at this length, there's really nothing anyone should complain about, right? No, not at all. And like we said, the alternative was, you know, Josh Naylor against lefties and, and Owen Miller playing a lot again. And now you don't have to play Josh Naylor against lefties and Owen Miller essentially is, you know, going to be on the, the fringe of this roster. He may go back to triple A. I know some people said they can DFA him. I don't know if they'll do that just because he has options left, but uh, definitely, you know, might end up in triple A to start the season. If, if they decide to go with Gabriel Arias and depending on what else they do this off season, but considering how bad Owen Miller was after April and, how bad Josh Naylor was against lefties. This is a pretty significant upgrade versus the alternative. That's the thing here you have to remember is, you know, even if, even if uh, Josh Bell himself is not a superstar and he's not as good as Jose Abreu, even though Jose Abreu was down power wise last year, um, or it's not Matt Olson or it's not, you know, whoever else, the alternative, what you have on your roster right now versus not making the steal is still significantly pretty bad. And um, the, the opportunity cost of that is, uh, is significant, especially when you're talking about a one-year deal and the lack of risk involved for that. Yeah, going from a 68 to a 100 would have been huge production increases. Going a 68 to a 123 uh, is phenomenal. It is like adding heat. 
he, I'm not saying he is an all-star, but the increase in production is like they just add an all-star bat to their lineup, which is the same thing you could say if they upgrade catcher. And again, that is why those are the two areas that this team have been so focused on. Why don't we take a break, come back. I do want to talk a little bit about catcher and, you know, maybe sprinkle in some talk about the, uh, the first ever MLB draft lottery, which happened tonight. But first, let's take that break and talk about our fantastic sponsors over at Bet Online. You should know them. You should love them. Uh, they are a consummate sponsor on the show, and we appreciate their fantastic support. And Bet Online is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. They've got it all at Bet Online. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those on Bet Online as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Let's see what their deals are currently with baseball. What do they think is going to happen in the magical world of baseball? Does Cleveland signing Josh Bell shift them? Uh, they are plus 3,300 tied with the Red Sox right now. Rangers are just barely ahead of them. Uh, the White Sox are ahead of them. I would not bet on the Sox right now. MLB futures and MLB props are also things you can do right now. Uh, they have seven future props. So go check that out with our friends over at Bet Online today. So uh, I forgot, I wanted to very quickly mention here for those who may not have an athletic uh, subscription, you know, uh, Zach Meisel's reason enough to do it. But for all the hate you and I have taken at various points for saying this organization is unlikely to start the year with Bo Naylor on their roster that that is not how they approach things and not how things are going to work. Zach Meisel's quotes from Chris Antonetti. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it because I'm, again, throwing this at Justin without uh, pre-gaming it to him. It just hit me that we forgot to talk about it. Basically stated, uh, everything we have said, yeah, they stated. Like, they have no interest in Bo Naylor. Like, how can you say without saying it that Bo Naylor is going to spend half a year in AAA was this article? Yeah, it was basically, and, and the quote itself was talking about the competitive window, how they're not in a position to decide to to, on the job. Well, not only that, but it was just saying like, you know, we're not in a position to hope, hope for the best. Like, okay. We're essentially, he's saying we expect to win this year. And that does not having, having a rookie catcher is not a spot. We feel like is going to, be a good position for us to win and for Bo Naylor to contribute. Because they talked about, and Cleveland always stresses this, about putting their players in the position to succeed. You know, throwing, not only not only would it be bad for the Guardians, or risky, I should say, but it, it wouldn't be good for Bo Naylor to thrust that on him to start the season and um, hand him the reps every day. Now, maybe he earns it. Maybe, maybe he does something they say he's earned this opportunity, and that's good. You should make him earn it. Not that he didn't play well last year and earn it, but um, you definitely want to make sure when you bring him up that it, it, that's a big deal to bring somebody up like that and put him in the, in a spot. Like, you know, even the Orioles, I know Adley Rutschman was hurt, but even they waited a little bit on him to start the year. Um, I know people have done study, psychological studies in the past too, about having to bring players up before they're ready and send it back down and the effects that has on their career. Um, that's something Cleveland has studied internally in the past. They have always stressed bringing up guys from AAA or whatever uh, when they're playing well, if they if they can. They'd rather not force the guy to the major leagues. They'd rather wait until the guy in the AAA is is playing well to bring him up so he has some confidence coming up. 
uh, versus the alternative. So they're not putting their hopes on, on, on the 2022 se- 2023 season um, being competitive and winning the division again with, with a rookie catcher behind the plate. And they're not trying to put too much on Bo Naylor's plate to start the year. So it sounds like they anticipate adding an external catcher, maybe even two, because let's be, let's be realistic. They might have to add two. If you're going to have Bo Naylor start the year in AAA, you know, you're going to have to add two guys. Cause I don't think Brian Lavastida and may, and depends on the 40 man roster situation too, but you might have, I mean, I don't think Mabry's Valora or Brian Lavastida is going to be the backup catcher next year. So I, I wouldn't be catchers. shocked by Mabry's. Let me put it that way. I wouldn't be shocked by that. You look at like Luke Maley was not the most proven guy. I wouldn't, I'm just, I'm not saying <laughs> that was like, a major league like, deal. They signed yeah, him a major league deal. Valora is I know. League. No, and I get that. I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked by it. Let me put that. I'm not saying it's likely or going to happen, but if he ended up being their their number two catcher, I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked by that occurring. Um, go get because, go get Murphy and sign. We talked about Murphy and Zanino. Yeah. Go get go trade for Murphy and sign Zanino. And if Zanino, I don't know, he probably won't sign if you trade for Murphy because some no. of his playing time is messed up. I was going to say if Zanino plays well, you can flip him at the deadline, kind of like the Rays did with Christian Betancourt, mm-hmm. but um, No, the Rays yeah, got Betancourt. You mean how they added Betancourt from... Um, yes, how the Rays got yeah. him, but they o- Oakland yeah. traded him at the deadline because yeah. um, they already had a lot of catchers on their roster anyway, but Zanino won't sign in Cleveland if uh, no. if Murphy's here because he'll know, he'll know the playing time is limited. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's the thing, and that's why they could add... I mean, Austin... Uh, 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 boy, can't speak. I mean... Like, there's a chance Hedges might come back as a backup in that situation. Like, there's no guarantee he's going to get a deal. Like, we should just, with the year he had, a lot of teams might just be looking at him as a backup. So I'll be kind of intrigued, especially if you can get Hedges as a backup. I'm I'm here for that. Um, and, and remember, I mean, they paid him $3 million to be a backup when they still had, like, Roberto Perez in place. So th- they might place a valuation on him uh, due to just what he means to the team and his leadership and some of, like, his being a glue guy. Uh, the other, what was it? Oh, and I just also want to point out that wasn't just one quote in the piece. There was about four quotes in that piece that this team is going to add some kind of catcher. Like I feel guaranteed that they will have somebody that they're bringing in somewhere. They're going to figure this out. Uh, so real quickly, we've already gone a little long. I think you expect to do that on draft day or on draft day after signing a big free agent. But I do have to comment on the draft because look at my my Twitter, Jeff MLB Draft. First ever MLB Draft Lottery. The big loser today, the Kansas City Royals. Who, you know, what's kind of fascinating when you look at this lottery is it's, yeah, it stinks to fall three spots, but might hurt more to lose the, the money in terms of your slot value than anything else uh, that, you know, that it, we got Minnesota jumping from like 12 to five after, by the way, Minnesota to me got a th- top three talent a year ago, then got my favorite college left-hander. And like, I thought the twins killed last year's draft. They somehow end up with a top five pick and a draft that depending on your view is right now, six, seven deep at the top. Uh, Detroit moved up. Texas moved up after <laughs> signing to Grom. Kansas city and Cincinnati fell down. It doesn't affect Cleveland. We talked about, you know, the free agent signings and the effect that those have had on Cleveland. Uh, they've gained about 180,000 in the draft, but uh, yeah, I thought it's something you at least have to look at and discuss. Um, the other kind of interesting thing that just broke in the middle of this show is that Tejon Walker signed with the Phillies for four years, 72 million. Uh, so another pitcher off the market. And I am, 
like I remember when Tejon Walker was a lively arm. I remember when he was a guy left for dead four years, 72 million. My goodness, every single day, Plesak and Savali get more valuable, don't they? Yeah, I, I'm curious. It'll probably take a while for the market to go on 18 million on a year. trades, but that market may have developed for another month or so. But yes, you can bet they're there. Once all the pitchers drop the board, yeah, I'm sure they will get some calls um, on those guys. That's just mind boggling to me. Like, again, Tejon Walker, I, I got to look at like exactly. I mean, he was solid for them a year ago, but he's worth. 2.6 war. Like, I mean, he's been, he has been very Plesak or he's been a Savale type, you know, very honestly. And he got 72 million. Hey, you know, we'll see how this plays out, but I think it just ends up benefiting Cleveland with their depth. Um, do you have anything? I know as running rough shot, trying to speak through to, to cut down on straining your voice so we can have you as much as we can this week. Anything else you want to add? Anything I completely blanked on? Well, just real quick, we don't have to go into it deep, too deep, because there weren't a lot of new rumors today. But um, oh, I did yeah. see the latest on Sean Murphy was in Arizona was interested, and I'm like, you know what? Honestly, every if you look at every team out there, the only the only only franchises that are not interested in Sean, in Sean Murphy at this point are the Orioles, the Blue Jays, um, who else might like the Phillies, yeah, and the and the Dodgers. Those are the only teams that are probably not interested in Sean Murphy because they already the have. All right, well, no, I mean, the Reds probably won't be, no, but yeah. I could see them. You know, they got their own guy that's young and, and cost-controlled. Yeah, but everybody else is pr- pretty much just going to be interested in, in some yeah. form or another, like, or they could at least use an upgraded catcher. Um, so you can just assume, like, 25 teams are interested in Sean Murphy at this point. So every time there's a new report, I'm just like, all right, whatever. Like, yeah, every team is interested. They're going to make that call. And then there was the whole report today about how they were looking for major league talent and – I was trying to debate back and forth in my head. I'm like, okay, if they're truly trying to find major league talent in the return for, for Murphy, it makes very little sense to me. Like, yeah, they're not going to be good this year. They have a lot of spots they can upgrade. I mean, unless they really believe in Connor Capel, who's projected to be their opening day left fielder right now, or um, V-Mill Machine is their opening day second baseman. Like, what are they, if they're looking for a, in a stat, because obviously if they're looking for major league talent, they're looking for an established. If, if that's true, they're looking for an established young big leaguer, right? They're not looking for a, a police actor or a Savali. We're talking. They're looking for a Stephen Kwan, or they're looking for an Andre Semenes, or they're looking for like a for the Cardinals, like Nolan Gorman. I know he's not established, but you know, a young guy who's already made his major league debut and has a lot of upside. That if that's if that's if they're really looking for major league talent, that's who I think they're looking at. I don't think they're looking at someone like a an Arias or a Freeman or a Brennan or Gonzalez to headline a trade. They're looking at Quan plus prospects. If that's, if that's truly their, if that's truly the Oakland athletic stance, that's probably what they're looking at. <coughs> Excuse me. Shoot. And I tell I them, I go away. Yeah, I promised you... I wasn't going to do that. I have an excuse though. I was sick. I've been sick for the last two days. I told you this was supposed to be my Jordan flu game podcast and I failed. Um, but I, it, that just sounded like, there, it's it's just more planted stuff to try to get everybody to up their offer because I don't think Cleveland Cleveland's obviously not going to give them Stephen Kwan or Andre Semenes and I, I don't I don't think St Louis even they even though they could I don't think they'll be giving them Nolan Gorman. No, I think this is it's I don't know like 
teams don't get moved. Like Cleveland has made their offer. They said they're not trading. I thought it was interesting today, again, in that piece from from Zach, that he mentioned Valera on the list of guys they wouldn't trade at the deadline. Uh, so I got to assume that it was Rokio as a centerpiece then, and I don't know what the other parts were, but I don't know if the market is maybe not developing that the way that Oakland wants, and they're trying anything they can, but this 100%, like, I, it, everything... It felt like saying, hey, we want proven guys as a way to be like, hey, the Braves and Astros stuff is true. Not to mention, like, they're not going to trade in the division. They, they just won't. And, like, every, like, it, it, this is, like, the the saddest thing to watch because it's, like, literally every rumor they can possibly plant is coming out. Uh, they're trying to drum up more interest. And, again, he's a good player who should sell for a high price. But you know what? It doesn't matter if every single team came out of the woodwork and showed their offer. Cleveland never budges. That has been the whole thing. So like this team isn't going to change because all of a sudden Arizona is involved. And yeah, like if they want young players, Alec Thomas would be the centerpiece there. You know who he's most similar to Christian Pache, Miles Straw. Like I love Thomas. He could also totally turn into a star. It was one year, but like he, he's not what Oakland needs. Um, you know, if Cleveland's willing to come down off of Valera, which again, that was, you know, Zach is so connected. I'll, trust that they were kind of like no he's not in the the trade it, it does make it harder if they're not willing to move him but uh you know i still think maybe he ends up with the rays or maybe he ends up with um st louis but to me and if arizona is really in they could do it but I, I think it's it's a three horse race right now and everything else is just smoke to try to drive up an asking price even though that doesn't work and I, I love the other quote too that accompanied the whole ma- looking for major league talent was, oh, we don't like the offer, just we just won't trade him. Like, okay, sure, you don't have to trade him. He's got tw- the 2023, 2024, and 2025 seasons of control. But Oakland's not going to be good over the next two seasons. They might be good again in, I don't know, three years. Their system's not great. You know, they haven't, no. a lot of the guys they traded, uh, got for Olsen and uh, Montas are not going to yeah. be ready for a little bit. So, like, they're not going to, and they might be ready to compete by for Murphy's last season as a big leaguer or as a, as a, of team control. Um, okay, great. Good for you. And if he gets hurt, he's a catcher. If he gets hurt, there goes your value. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's 28. They, they can sit there and say, well, we don't have to trade him. You don't, but uh, just remember the value, this is his value is never going to get higher. It's only going to get lower. Yeah. Especially if you go in and if you go into the season with him and try to make him a, a deadline acquisition for a team next year. That's rough because a team, there's going to be less teams in the market for him and teams are going to be more leery because trading for catchers at the deadline is a risky business to get them to integrate it with your pitching staff uh, just a few months before the playoffs. So they can say that all they want, but they're taking a giant gamble if they don't trade him. He is a car coming off the lot. Every single moment he is gone, he loses value. Uh-huh. And yeah, that's just the way it is. Uh, we will come back tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure we'll both be furiously tweeting as the rule five occurs. We'd really get to touch on it. Cleveland's 40 man with bell, unless they release someone sits at 40. I don't think it's a huge surprise with the way things are constructed that they wouldn't likely add someone just cause it's hard. It's, it's a very good roster. There's not a ton of wiggle for non-clear upgrades. Well, but if they don't, if they don't officially add them to the 40 man roster tomorrow, they can still make a pick. Depends on when they make the move official. Yes, which they have not done. I have not gotten my yeah. little email blast yet. And they might also be waiting on that to see if someone, yeah. you know, it, I think 
was it was Nunez, the Pittsburgh guy who I heard two separate people tweet it, rumoring to me in DMs about. Um, but yeah. I, I think, but at this point, like, even if they were intrigued by him, they just signed Josh Bell, who's the same guy. So they can't really operate. In the yeah. Same that probably takes them out of that a little bit. So, but uh, yeah, no, it'll be fun. Tomorrow is, Hey, they signed Josh Bell today. Let's just focus on the positive. This team is better today than it was yesterday it is a big improvement we still have catcher to go and then the intrigue of the rule five it is a fun time to be a guardians baseball fan i want to thank you all for listening rating and reviewing downloading daily all of that helps in terms of our youtube channel we've already gone over 40 minutes so let me do the slow play to tell you uh what we are at in terms of subscribers we've now gotten to the point that like when i look on my phone it doesn't give me exact amounts so hey thank you to everyone who subscribed 1030 subscribers that is amazing Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And how I end every show, go, go, Guardians, go.